Hey everyone, welcome to Hub City Church. We are ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. If you want more information about Hub City Church, find us online at thehubcitychurch.com connect and fill out our digital connect card. Now let's dive into this week's message. Our rhythm series is based in Acts and today our message comes from Acts 2, 42 through 47. All right. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to, oh, excuse me, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship and to those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to invite Pastor Josh Kelly to come up here and share with us this morning. Thank you, Cameron. And you know, uh, as you've heard me mention probably about a trillion times, um, I have like pretty ADHD, and so I have to realize I have to get all my stuff set up. And I had told Tyler, like, okay, don't worry, I don't need the table because I use for notes. I, just, I, I like have my way of like, I like having it like angle right about like that. But then I forgot about all my other stuff that I need the table for, so I'm grabbing it back. So it's uh, definitely an honor to be, happy to be able to come and, and talk to you again. And so the, this idea of rhythms, uh, you know, that, that last song that we sang, we talked about this firm foundation, right? And Christ is that firm foundation, but there's other pieces he's added to that. In fact, I was gonna say kind of my little controversial little dig for later before, after I've warmed you up. I'm gonna start off with it. Jesus isn't enough because he's chosen not to be. He's chosen to set things up so that we need each other. You know, like we, maybe you've heard the stories like, or heard the analogy that we have a God-shaped hole within our heart and that only God can fill that space. Absolutely true. But God has also created us with a human-shaped heart, uh, hole in our heart that only other people can. He's designed us to need each other. And so kind of talking about these rhythms, this foundation that God's given us. He is the foundation, but there's other pieces, and you can't just say, hey, it's just me and Jesus, and that's all I need. That's not the way God set it up. But I'm getting ahead of myself, because that's basically what my sermon's about. But, but specifically, this rhythm of gathering, the, the importance of gathering together as a church on a regular basis. Because how many people think they felt like they picked up some bad habits during COVID, Right? Lots of bad habits, and sometimes, and for a lot of people, um, meeting in person was, or not meeting in person was one of them. And so Sean's heart for this, and my heart for this, is to talk about how important it is for us to be the body of Christ here together meeting, like actually in the same physical space when, whenever possible. Uh, when he asked me to talk about this, I thought, well, I wonder how much of my story I'm going to tell, because as many of you know, I was a pastor for, for uh, quite a while, for 14 years, and then I've been out of the ministry since 2014, out of like full-time vocational ministry. 
Like, okay, well, maybe this piece and this piece. And then he told me the actual title of the sermon is Rhythms of Gathering. Well, the name of the church that I pastored was The Gathering. So it kind of felt like, okay, it's going to be, I think, more than just giving a little blurb. And realizing how much of this story of, uh, is a part of who I am that you guys haven't heard, but also is really important to why I believe this is so vital. So I was an assistant pastor at the, well, at the time was the largest church in, in the valley, uh, his place. You know, the one with the really big cools, Noah Ark behind it, got to know the Bogles there. And, uh, you know, several people in this church, I, I first met them there. Awesome church. It was an honor and a privilege to, ser- to serve there. But then at one point, I felt God calling me to go from, uh, I've been there about seven years, and uh, felt God calling me to lead a church, the gathering. So I went from the biggest church in the valley to one of the tiniest this was a, a good little church. Um, if you're familiar with downtown Mount Vernon and all, uh, it's uh, the old Salem Lutheran building, now Communion, and we'll get to that. But, uh, you know, if you walk out of the Mount Vernon Library and look to your, to your left and you see a steeple, that's, that's the church I had the privilege of, uh, of pastoring. And by the time I got there, that church had been through a lot. They'd been through a lot. And the people who were left, and there weren't many of them, but the people who were left were so devoted to each other, and this sense of community, this sense of tightness, especially coming from a large church, was just amazing, unlike anything I'd seen. And that's something we were able to develop, and we were brought in, that we were accepted in, and even when I did stupid things and made mistakes, I was still loved, and it was a really great place to be. I would say that roughly 75% of our church was involved in a community group, and these community groups met once a week, but they were more than that. These were people we would eat, your community group, you ate with. Uh, if you were sick, you'd be calling on them. If anything happened, your first line was to call the people in your community group, not just call the church staff, which this church staff was basically me. But this was family. And to this day, there's people in those groups, like if someone's sick with that group, we're still helping provide meals. It was just an amazing time, this, this connection that I'd never experienced in a church. And then we had our, our uh, monthly potlucks. I think it's the first Sunday of the month. Uh, uh, first Sunday of every month, we would have our potluck together in the basement of that building. And so my girls grew up running around down there with food flying and, you know, kids having me told, whoa, 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 save some of the desserts for other people. You know, don't fill up your plate just on cake. And you know, it's this sort of place where you could actually say to someone else's kid, hey, well, leave some for other people. And it wasn't rude. It's just like, you know, we kind of helped each other out that way. And we also had like our, our annual camping trip. Man, this was cool. We would like once a year, uh, we kind of tried some different places, but settled in on uh, up at uh, Razor State Park or Razor or however you're supposed to pronounce it. Their, their community site there was just great. And so we would have our, our annual um, camping trips were just amazing. But when I came over to the gathering, uh, a couple of dear friends of mine went from his place and moved to there with us. And they understood that, hey, this isn't going to be a social club for us. Like, on Sunday mornings, I'm not going to be hanging with you. I'm going to be taking care of the people in my church. And they got that. And, like, we went to different home groups. And one guy in particular, my best friend, really, like, he and his wife just became such a part of the ministry of that church. And he actually became an elder. And he he led one of the community groups that was so strong, going great. And just it's just this amazing time in so many ways. Uh, But there were definitely some real struggles. Uh, Part of it is the fact that um, the way God wired me, you know, to be a good pastor of like a solo church, you know, something like, the, like a solo pastor, sorry, uh, you need to be 
reasonably good at a bunch of stuff. I'm really good at one or two things, and that's it. Uh, counseling, no. My idea of counseling is uh, telling people to stop being, stup- stop being stupid. You know, read two Proverbs, call me in the morning. Uh, that, that's about as good as because you're going to get much empathy as you're going to get from me. Administration, oh, dear God. No, that's not my area. And so because of that, that definitely caused some struggles in the church. And that I'm more of a teacher rather than this really on fire, you know, preach, go take the hill type person. So there's those struggles. And then recession hit and a good portion of our church were employed in the construction industry. So this is 2008, 2009. And our church giving people who used to be our big, some of our biggest givers now are the people who are having to ask for help. And so the church hit some really t- tough times financially. And um, also around, so around this time, the church said, uh, the, the deacon said, um, you know, we can't afford to pay you full-time anymore. So I had to take a job working at Starbucks. So for about a year and a half, two years, I was, uh, in theory, a part-time pastor, but pastoring just encompasses your life. And then also working at Starbucks. And there was just some unrest. There were some issues. And I noticed that my best friend was starting to get like more distant, more grumpy, and just like, just things weren't going well. And then I believe it was, you know, uh, appropriately enough, Black Friday one year, I don't remember what, but you know, the day after Thanksgiving, I, I honestly don't remember who called me, if it was him or his wife, but basically uh, my best friend said, I'm done with my marriage, I'm out of here. Yeah, it wasn't great, especially when it's an elder. And especially when this is someone I've been meeting with on a biweekly basis as friends, and we've been getting each other's business, and, and uh, Tyler's going to be talking about fellowship uh, next week. And we really had a tight thing where we were helping each other out, and he'd hidden stuff from us. And so here my former elder now is, has, is leaving his wife, and additionally, I'm watching the way he's interacting with other people, and he was very good at talking. He, the guy could, as the saying goes, sell ice to an Eskimo. And I'm watching people come out of conversations with him saying, oh, yeah, I, I know he, should, he should, probably shouldn't be leaving his wife, but he's tried hard. And I can kind of, and like, no, 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 what he's doing is wrong. And I had to make a strong statement that this was wrong and actually publicly expel him from the church, which is something that's not really popular these days because it's been misused by some churches. But when you have someone who's in leadership and people are starting to follow them doing something wrong, the leadership has to say, this is wrong, this is not okay, we cannot fall. And that, I might start to crack up a couple times during this sermon. This is one of them. That day was one of the worst days of my life. And something broke in me. I mean, I never really recovered from that moment. And as I, I continued on by the grace of God, asking for prayer, you know, uh, praying, asking for the Holy Spirit to help, and and just doing everything I could to continue serving the church. And one of the things I really missed was having, uh, I, I, knowing all my weaknesses, I always looked for someone who could come alongside me, who could help me out, and who could give me a good critique and say, hey, you know, this didn't go over well, that sermon illustration, or blah, blah, you know, and, and call me to, to do better. And so I was eager for that. I missed that because that is what this guy had been to me. And because of that eagerness, I allowed someone far more access to leadership in the church far too soon then discovered the guy was literally a narcissist. Not like full of himself, but like clinically, there's something desperately broken in this guy. And uh, long story short, he tried to take over the church. 
I got an email one Saturday saying, hey, I met with the other elder candidates and we decided that you're not qualified to be pastor anymore. Um, this one dude's going to now be the lead pastor. You're going to be the teaching pastor. And by the way, we're now a Calvinist church. Uh, what? It, it just, not a great day. Again, but then from there, so we basically had something of a church split, not that people went and followed that guy, but they were just, the thing ended really messy. And so some people just like said, that's it. We're, I'm sorry, we can't take any more. And I, again, struggled on for another year and a half, a very long and difficult year and a half. But I knew I was doing what I was called to do. I was supposed to be there, and we had some new people. God did some great things in that time. Have some new people come into the church, one in particular, one couple in particular that uh, God had a calling on their life. We're going to be having uh, dinner with them again this week. And seeing what God's done in that family's life makes the entire two years or year and a half worth it. But kind of as after about a year and a half, I realized the church is no longer sustainable. We're, we're can't even like cover the basic responsibilities of the church. Uh, we're about ready to default on our mortgage and I'm spent. I am so spent. And I met with the, the, what was left of the leadership team and we talked about, we agreed and I went to all the people who'd been a part of the church for a long time and said, here's what's going on. We're going this is going to be our last Sunday. We're, it's going to be, we're going to have like this kind of celebration of life type service, kind of like a funeral for a church. And this is what we're going to do. And they're like, man, we get it. It sucks, but we get it. But those people who'd come in in the meantime were still excited. That home group, when I told all of them at the same time, was, again, on rough days, that, that was up there. You know, you know how they talk about the five, expression, five stages of grief? I got to watch all five of them happen in an hour, a course of two hours. It was brutal. You know, they weren't mad at me, but they were definitely hurting. They didn't understand. Got through that, and then um, we had our last service, and that last service was really something amazing. You know, for those who are there, people who've been a part of the church since the very beginning, who've gone and came back, it's just this really beautiful thing to say, look what God's done. This kind of is sad that's disappearing, but we're going to now, we're going to end this well. And then the following, so we were able to give all of our assets to uh, Communion Church, and God showed great grace to me in that the following Sunday, they were in the church. That took a lot of work, financially, legally, all these things. But the, the doors of the church were not closed for a single Sunday, and that was meant a lot to me. But that following Sunday, and now I'm getting to my point. That following Sunday, um, my family and I, so my brother, my mom and dad went to that church, my brother and his wife and his kids, all of us went to that church. Um, and so we skipped church that one Sunday because we didn't have a church. It was gone. We went to, uh, to a park in Anacortes, Washington Park, and just had donuts and just kind of <sighs> breathed. Prayed a little, talked a little, but just let it, let it be. And that was good. That was really good. But then the following Sunday, I had a choice. Here's this thing that had been a rhythm of my life since I assume since I was a newborn, right, Mom? I mean, church. I mean, I'm guessing from day one we were in church. And now I had this opportunity. There was this break. This rhythm had been broken. What am I going to do that second Sunday? That first Sunday to take a break? Yeah, that made sense. That made a lot of sense. Like, I'm going to continue this rhythm. I have to. So um, we just like uh, went to the CTK down here uh, th that time, that was uh, before uh, Dave Browning had passed, 
and we knew each other from just ministry network, is the evening service, and I was barely hanging on. I mean, I'm running on fumes. And just uh, as Dave's going up to preach, just stops by, just says, you're just here to be served. Or just let us take care of you. I think that's what he said. Just let us take care of you. You don't have to do anything. And then walked up there. And of course, you know, I start bawling. That's one of the most important decisions I made. Again, I was barely there that Sunday emotionally. But that we were not going to get out of that rhythm of church. Church is hard. Sometimes church really sucks. Some people have hurt, been hurt desperately, desperately by the church. Right? Maybe you have. Maybe you know some people who have. It can be really hard. Here's kind of one of my, my truisms. One of the things that I just believe about life is that to, some, to the extent that something can do you good, it can also do you harm. In other words, something like taking a couple of Tylenol, it's not going to do you that much good. It might help with a headache, but if you've like chopped off your hand, it's not going to do much. It's not going to help you. But it's not going to hurt you that much either. Chemotherapy can save your life. It can get rid of cancer, but it's going to mess you up in the process. Things that have tremendous impact are, can be either for good or ill. Marriage is, an, is a great example. A marriage can, I've seen marriages change people's lives for the better. I've seen them become stronger and more who they're called to be. I've seen marriages destroy lives, okay? And the church is the same. Because it has so much power in our life, because it can do so much for good, it can also do so much for evil because it is such a core part of who we are. But, you know, um, how many of you ever had a bad experience with a dentist? Right? How many of you decided to never, ever go to the dentist again because of that and kept with that promise? You know, if, you, if you're in that category and you stay in that category for a while and you smile, I'm going to be seeing some gaps. Okay? Well, let's be honest. Yeah, sometimes things hurt. Sometimes it doesn't go the way it should, but... I believe that church is vital. I believe there's something that we need. After, after that first Sunday, we kind of had a bit of a, kind of tried some different things. It took us a while to kind of find a home. We went to his place, the church I grew up, I grew up in for a while, but that felt a little bit too much like uh, sleeping on a, a couch in your parents' basement, you know, because I've been there for so long. And uh, we were at City Point Church for a while, which, uh, by the way, Having spent time at a church called Hub City Point and now being at Hub City and already being dyslexic and ADHD, I call either one by either one's names all the time. But we were at City Point for a while. I knew the pastor there, and that was really cool, but then a different pastor came in, and the new pastor is awesome. He's great, but just it wasn't what I signed up for, so we wandered around. No, actually, what happened was, this is key to the story, the Trussells. You guys know, you know, Peter and Rochelle Trussell and, uh, and Annalise, and you especially know the wisecracks that Peter makes uh, at various points. He has some, some wonderful ones. Um, but we were at a, at a birthday party and together, and we just started chatting. And we had one of those really hard, good conversations with lots of tears, like, wait, you're not mad at us? No, you're not mad at us. You know, and, just, and it was this reminder of what we had had because we'd been doing church for a while with being involved, but like this time in the saddle. 
Time, you, closeness doesn't come like this just because, okay, we're all Christians, we're in the same room, so we're going to be close. No, that just takes time. And so from, with them, we kind of reconnect with them, and we start going to their church. There's some, you know, there, something shady happened there, and I'm not going to say anything more than that. But so when that, we had to go, we started searching for churches with them, and that's how we ended up together here at, at um, Hub City. And, you know, it wasn't that uh, the, we didn't come because there was like this concert level worship service. The worship was good. Um, it wasn't that uh, it was some podcast-ready sermons. Yeah, the sermons were good. But the, it was a church, is a home, is a community. And that's just what I believe that church is supposed to be, this place of so many things. I'm going to talk about why gathering together is so crucial. Some of these basic things I think we need from the church. But I want to quickly say first that it's becoming over the past many years, it's become more and more popular to say, uh, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Yeah, it's technically true. Going to church is not a requirement for being a Christian. But to put things maybe delicately, uh, to be together, quote unquote, with your spouse is not a requirement for being married. But if it's missing, something's wrong. Church is a vital part of the Christian experience. I'm going to talk about some of the verses here that say church is, is like why it's important, but this is, it's bigger than just certain verses in the Bible. It is a biblical assumption that life is done together. We, are, we live in a very individualistic society that thinks it's all about me, but the Bible is written in the context of communalism, that everything was the community. And one, one simple way that we miss how communal the Bible is is that the Bible uses, you know, okay, grammar people, difference between uh, second, let's see, second singular and second plural. You is second singular. Y'all is second plural. English doesn't have really a version of y'all except for y'all. And we're not from Texas. So we don't use it. So that's say, when you read the Bible, when you see the word you, it could mean you or it could mean Y'all. The majority of the time, it's saying y'all. That when the Bible, and this is the New Testament specifically, in the New Testament, all these letters, all these statements are written to y'all. Everything is within this massive context of community. And so, again, this is just like this biblical assumption. So, I'm burning through time. So, let's go through what I think is, not what I think, what I see in the Bible as being these key things, these key points from that we need from gathering together, that you cannot get anywhere else. The first one is biblical teaching, where it says that they devote themselves to the apostles' of teaching, uh, to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. Um, the apostles' teaching, for our purposes, is basically analogous to biblical preaching. To to study, to be able to preach the Bible requires to actually be preaching it. To to take time to. I'm sorry. To preach it, you have to study, you have to spend time in it to understand the context, understand the picture, and to devote time, to be trained in how to study the Bible well. And furthermore, to take time to pray and to be praying for the people who are coming. All of this is what we see in Pastor Sean, that he takes that time to prepare himself. And we listen to the way that he's preaching and how it's mirroring what's going on in his life. God's working in him, and now the flowing of that comes this biblical preaching. And it can be this very, like, uh, as Americans, we tend to be pretty anti-authoritarian, right? And so we don't want, we want to say, oh, I just 
can just be the Bible and me. I don't need anyone else. Nonsense. That is absolute nonsense. We need to hear from other people. Look, if, if, if it was just the Bible and me were sufficient, um, okay, I've been trained biblically. I can read my Bible in Greek and Hebrew. Not so much Hebrew. My Hebrew teacher is lousy. I can do all that stuff. I have the degree. But I come to church and the sermon comes and I'm being convicted. It's not just about having the knowledge. It's having someone that the Holy, has been working with the Holy Spirit and praying and saying words and the Holy Spirit speaks to you. I get something sitting here in church, hearing sermons, sometimes about stuff maybe I know about already, but God speaks. You have to be in church. Just you and the Bible is not enough. You need to be sitting under good biblical preaching, and I believe that. And there, again, this is, there's a little bit of this that's rising of me that's rising up against stuff I've heard from other Christians. They're like, oh, we'll just have, get together and share verses of the Bible, and that's enough. No, it's not enough. It's great to do that, but we need people who are devoting themselves to studying Scripture and preaching it. Okay, there's one thing. Another thing, biblical preaching, second of all, Church is a place that we are under authority. Okay, this is going to be really unpopular. I remember after we started coming to uh, here to Hub City, we've been here a little while, some friends of ours were like, so, yeah, tell me about Hub City. Why did you like it? And they were expecting some answer about, oh, the ministry or the outreaches or the music. What I said was, you know, it's good to be in a place where I can submit, where I can submit to the leadership. And they're like, uh, well, this is from the book of Hebrews. Makes a point that I think, uh, he's saying, have confidence in your leadership and submit to the authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden because that will be of no benefit to you. You know, obviously this idea of having authority, of being underneath the spiritual authority has been abused by some people. We've seen that happen a lot. But let's go back to the dentist thing. Just because it's been done wrong doesn't mean it's completely off. God sets spiritual authority over us, people who can speak to us. And so, and someone who has to give an account. Pastor Sean is accountable to God for what we as the church do. That's not really all that fair, if you ask me. It's kind of like, you know, I'm accountable for my kids. In the same way, that's why he's praying for us. He has this authority. And so when Sean says, hey, let's do this, it's just not take it or leave it. It's like, okay, maybe I'll do this, maybe I won't. By the way, it's so much easier to preach this when you're not the pastor, you know? But for me, this is a thing, is to actually be under spiritual authority. Yes, that, that's not an absolute thing. He won't, if he tells me to, you know, to join a cult or something, or, you know, no, no. It's up against, checking him against the Bible, but I'm listening. I'm under his authority. And that's an important thing. Uh, another thing that's super crucial about that we have here, and now this one especially you can't get on a live stream, is corporate worship, right? Worship, you know, you look at in the, uh, in like Psalms, you'd have some of the Psalms were uh, individual Psalms of praise, but a lot of them were corporate. Worship is something done together is, that's just beautiful, Right? This power, this encouragement, maybe it's one of those days where you're just down in the dumps and having everyone else seeing it lifts you up. Together, worshiping, magnifying God, that's something that is done together. And something that we can't do by ourselves. Yes, you can sing by yourself, but this corporate worship. And, you know, I'm grateful for the live streaming. I'm grateful that we've had these tools that can help during, you know, during COVID. This is vital. I'm grateful that if someone's sick or for whatever reason they're out of town, 
They can, they can still watch the sermon. They can sing along with the songs. But it is not the same thing. It's not. This is the church. Live stream, hey, it's not a bad substitute when it's all you got. But gathering together, this is what the church is. You may disagree with me on that. That's fine. We're still brothers and sisters in Christ. But I'm just telling you what I think and what I see is this gathering together. And that worship is part of it. Um, then, oh, speaking of which, yeah, uh, gathering together. This is that one kind of like a pastor's, one of their favorite verses about church. Probably their most favorite one is the one about not underpaying your pastors. But this would be the second favorite one. This is Hebrews uh, 11, I'm sorry, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Let us consider how we may spur on one another towards love and good deeds, not giving up the meeting, the ha- not giving up meeting together, some in the habit of doing, habit, rhythm. Kind of, they're kind of synonymous. Um, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. The word for church, Greek word for church, ecclesia. It means called out. It means like when you would have this assembly, you call out and bring everyone in. The gathering, a gathering, is the church. Being together is the church. Um, I just believe that, yeah, I believe, again, I believe this is, this is vital. This is where I was going to put that whole thing about Jesus isn't enough and about the, the human-shaped hole in our heart. This is where it's supposed to go. This idea that we need each other and gathering together is this place where we can be able to encourage each other. As it says that uh, we're called, it says, it doesn't say pastor, consider how to uh, spur on your congregation, but it's saying you all, you consider how you can encourage each other. This is our job. It's not the pastor doing this. This is the preaching, but then we're all interconnecting. We're encouraging. We're, we're holding each other up. We're, we're bringing uh, timely words of rebuke. We're bringing encouragements. We're bringing meals. Uh, and speaking of which, so part of why I love church is that it forces me to gather with people who are not like myself. Heaven is described as every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every political party. Okay, I'm, I'm adding in that political party, but it's kind of the subtext. That the heaven is going to be where we're all together. Every socioeconomic group, all together. Let's practice that. Church is ideally a place where we can start practicing that and getting used to hanging with people that you may not completely agree with. You may not like the way they look. There may be some issues, and it's probably best not to talk about uh, the 2020 election. Stop right there, you know? But being forced together in, in a body helps us grow and seeing these other viewpoints and being together. Again, I, I believe in the importance of, of that diversity. So, by the way, on Sunday mornings to make a point of, I'm not just going to go hang with my tribe. I'm going to go reach out and connect with other people. Maybe people are older than me. Maybe people that are younger than me. Single, not married. Married, not single. These sort of things is what the church gives us as opportunity to do. Um, next, church is a place where we get to serve and be served. Serve and be served. I believe both of those things are, too, are so vital. So nice having a fresh crowd because there's this uh, there's an illustration that I love so much that I used it so often at the gathering that they finally told me to stop using it. But I don't know if I've used it with you guys yet, so I get to use it again. And that is, um, you guys are you know, in the, if you read read Bible stories, you always hear about these places like the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, and the Dead Sea. Okay, the Sea of Galilee is actually fresh water, and it is a place teeming with life, 
full of fish. I mean, you know, Jesus and, the, and they're out fishing on the Sea of Galilee, and it's just filled with life. Waters are pouring it, it to it into it constantly, pouring in, pouring in from the rain, from all the, the rivers, and it flows through the Sea of Galilee and then goes down the Jordan River, and that goes into the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is a place that is, guess what, dead. It's salt water. Con- I've actually been able to swim. You don't swim in the, in the Dead Sea because you don't sink enough to swim. I'm in it, and I'm literally putting rocks on my stomach to try and get myself to sink. It's pretty impressive. Nothing can live in it. What's the difference between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea? They both have water flowing into it. The Dead Sea doesn't have anything coming out of it. I believe that we need to serve and be served. If you were ever in a place in your life where you were not both receiving from other people nor giving out, there's something unhealthy. With very rare exceptions, there are those moments of crisis where you have to just allow yourself to be served. But aside from that, if you're not letting people serve you, you're messed up. If you're not serving others, you're messed up. And church is the place where we are able to serve others and also to be served. And then finally, church is a place that we belong. There's a big difference between attending and being committed. There's a big big difference between uh, saying that... uh, yeah, I, I go to Hub City. Yeah, okay, yeah, that, that's where I go. And saying, Hub City is my church. This is the place I'm committed to. This is where I invest my time. This is where I invest my talents. This is I'm submitted to the leadership. Being here on a Sunday morning is a priority. Or, yeah, I, I, I go to, to Hub City when, when it's convenient. Or it could be a different church. Listen, here's one of the other things I love to say to my old church. There's a hundred ways of doing church right. We're doing one of them. We're not, we are not the only show in town. We're not the only biblical church. We're doing a thing, and it's really cool, and so I commit myself to this. Not because it's better than every other church, but this is where God's called me to. It's the difference between a consumeristic mindset that views yourself as the customer. As a pastor, a lot of times you have people, it feels like they're customers, like they want to be served, they want to be taken care of, and, and, and uh, if they're not happy, well, the customer's always right. That's a consumeristic, that's an attendance-based mindset of church. But the gathering, this rhythm of gathering, this, this being a part, being committed, is that this is my church, this is where I belong. Oh, wait, something isn't working? I'm not going to go, oh, dang it, the toilet's clogged. Hey, Sean, Sean. And I was like, I'm going to go unclog the toilet, right? The co- you know, whatever it is, the sense that this is my church. And, and I want to pull back just a little bit because I... I, I I'm talking to people I see here all the time. So I'm, there's, a, there's a bit that's like, hey, I know we all agree about this because I see you here almost every Sunday, right? So I, I'm, hopefully this isn't coming off as this, this like a super judgmental, but just understanding this rhythm. You know, to call church a rhythm of life is like calling my heartbeat a rhythm. You know, it's that crucial. And it's not a slow process. Sorry, it's not a long, it's a not, a fast process, that's what I'm trying to say. Church is this thing that's just a slow, long life together, that time in the saddle of consistent effort of serving and being served, of showing up. And I know to this day, I've, you know, you ever play this mind game of like, the fun mind game is, what if I won a million dollars? The unfun one is, what if I lost everything and I'm homeless? I have community from church, from here, from the gathering, from other places. I'm not worried. 
it kind of sucked, but I know I'd be taken care of. But sometimes, you have people who sometimes don't show up at church when they're at the crisis point and they haven't made those investments. It doesn't work quite as well. Good days, bad days. When I'm able to serve, when I need to be served, I'm here, you're here. And just this rhythm of constantly being here and creating this family that has developed over time. Um, and I'm privileged to be a part of this church. I'm privileged to sit underneath Pastor Sean. I'm privileged to, to, to listen, to sing to the worship, to, to uh, try to remember to do the 23 minutes of prayer. That one's been tough. Uh, you know, I, it's on my calendar, but okay, yes, I've snoozed that alarm more than once. I, I, I'm going to admit it. But still, being here together with you guys, for us to be the body of Christ, this is a get-to. Church is a get-to of our Christian walk. It's not a have-to. Um, after the road I've been on, it's really good to be home. It's really, really good to be home. It's good to be home with you guys. And let me also say, it's probably a good thing that the Trussells weren't, weren't here for this service because they're uh, off on vacation. Um, I'd probably be bawling my way to this whole, <laughs> this whole service, but it's good to be a church family. I hope that you guys feel that, and I hope that that's something that increases. I know church is hard. I know it can be brutal at times. I just got to get back up, keep on going. And again, I love you. Let's pray. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you want to take your next step in following Jesus, fill out the digital connect card at thehubcitychurch.com connect. We'd love to celebrate what Jesus is doing in your life.